I am so thankful to be a part of this uh, church family. When Linda gave her report, um, and I just hear of the sacrificial giving in such times of all of you, it's just so moving to be able to be here and be your pastor, and to be able to uh, have the kind of music program with the gifts God has given us. Thank you so much, Dwayne and John and John sitting right up here in the front. What a, what a blessing. Actually, I've been listening to Dwayne and Alex, you know, getting to sing with them. That... That's kind of a joy, just just to let you know. But I've been listening to their CD that just came out, and Julian uh, just put out a Christmas CD, and they are so you'll have to pick those up, tackle them as as they leave church and get one of those. Well, today we come to the third Advent Sunday, and I have a message that you may never have anticipated, and here is the message boiled down: Find out whose. You are. And then you will find out who you are. You see, this this big existential question that people of every time in history and every society have asked, who am I? Um, What should I be doing? What is my purpose in life? The Bible has an answer for that, but it's an answer that many people don't like until they embrace it. And then they find it. If you want to find out who you are, the only way to do it is to find out the right person to belong to. Find out whose you are, and you'll find out who you are. And this is a lesson that we learn as we turn to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. It's a well-known story, isn't it? As Chris read that to us, it's, it's the story in which a young man, young Jewish man named Joseph, who is engaged, finds out that the one to whom he's engaged is pregnant. And he'd never been with her. All right, she says the Holy Spirit did it. And even though it's supposed to be the first century, and people say, well, all of them believe in miracles, Joseph was a whole like, lot like we are. Oh, no way, he thought. Didn't, didn't believe in this transcendent supernatural thing. He only saw two options. What were they? Uh, number one, she's crazy. <laughs> she's crazy. Holy Spirit did this. How, how could that be? Or number two, she had been unfaithful. And she was lying to him. And I think it would take almost, I can't imagine what might convince him otherwise, except an angel. Angels in Shepherd Sunday, an angel breaks into his life, bringing a message from God. And the same thing happens to Joseph that happens to all of us when God breaks into our lives. Joseph, who probably believed in a God, now knew that God really was. And he also knew that God knew him. And his life could never be the same. He had to make a decision. Would he believe that message and would he give his life to this God? Now, I'll tell you, one part of this message uh, was especially hard to believe. I'd never seen it before. I was talking with a Jewish Christian friend. His name is Paul uh, Feinberg. I think he grew up in this church. And he once said, you know, Greg, when, when Jewish people read this story, there are a lot of interesting things there. But when we as Jewish people read this story, the most shocking thing for us is that Joseph had the right to name his own son taken away from him. He said, that's a big thing in our society. The one who's in charge gets to give the name. It's a very significant thing, the naming of that child. And so you see what happens here. An angel breaks into Joseph's life, and first his whole worldview has to change. Now he knows that God really is there, and now his life has to change. He not only is going to have a son 
that he didn't father, but now he's going to have to be the father figure for that son. And he doesn't even get to name that child. The real tension of this text, uh, Dr. Feinberg said to me, is would he obey God or not? And the climax of the story is found there in verse 25. Just look at it. But Joseph had no union with Mary until she gave birth to a son. And look what he did. Joseph gave to this son, he gave him this name, Jesus. He gave in to the authority of God. He allowed God to be the one who would direct his life. And I'm sure his life was never the same. Now, I want to talk to you about that today. I want to talk to you about that today. But this whole matter of of naming is not the same now here in 21st century Southern California as it was back there in first century uh, among first century Jewish people. So I've been wrestling with how on earth do I talk with Californians about this text so that we can see the power and relevance of it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to stick with me. I'm going to think about the meaning of a naming event in the Bible. Then I'm going to look at, at this naming event when Jesus was given his name. And then I'm going to turn to us and think about our names. And how it is that once we know whose we are, then we know our name. We know who we are. Okay, let's start. Let's start. The meaning of a naming event in the Bible. Children didn't get their names simply because their parents liked the sound of a certain name. Kind of like we have. Uh, you know, Chris and I lived in Chicago a long time. And a lot of people would name uh, their their children after sports stars that they really liked. So we had a lot of Michaels. A lot of Michaels. Uh, Some people named them after uh, musicians that they really like or actors that they really like. And especially, it's been amazing, in American society, those of you who have moved here, you might be surprised by this. People's names in soap operas became the big names of many American children. That's not the way it was in Bible days. This this uh, question of who am I, uh, what is my identity, how should I live, was wrapped up to a great extent in the name that we were given by our families. And there are two parts of it. Uh, first of all, the source of the name, who gave it, and second, the content of the name, what our name meant. First, the source of the name, um, who would give the name. The one who had the power to give the name was the one who was in charge. Uh, And for a child who was born, that child knew to whom he or she was accountable, who who he or she had to please, by the one who gave the name. That's why this big thing in this Matthew chapter 1, the big issue here is, why doesn't Joseph get to give the name to the child? Because the source of the name is the one who is in control. And in a patriarchal society, that was almost always the father. But that was always true of other things, too, to help illustrate it. In the Old Testament... When one king was battling another king, the triumphant king got to rename the defeated king. Do you see why? Because now the triumphant king had authority over the defeated king and he could give that other one the name. You see it in places like 2 Kings 23, 34. Or in another episode that maybe will will drive this home even more. In Genesis chapter 2, you know that man, Adam was given the right by God to name all the animals. Do you remember that place? Have you ever asked yourself, why did that happen? Do you think it was because God had run out of ideas? Oh, I've named all of these minerals and all of this. And Adam, I don't have a single idea left. I need some help, help here. Will you name the animals? 
No, no, no. This was a very significant point driving home something that God had said earlier. He said, I'm going to make human beings in my image and you will rule over and take care of all of the other life in this world. It's a significant part of what it means to be human. The ability to care for what God has made. And all of that is signified by the ability to name. It shows our ability to care for the other life that is here in this world. So in all of this, uh, the one who gives a name is the one to whom the person is accountable, particularly when a child is young. So the source of the name was important because it showed who is in charge. Do you see that? And then the content of the name was important because a name would be given by a parent that sort of showed characteristics of the child. Uh, Do you remember when Jacob was born? He had a brother who came out first and he grabbed his heel. So he was named Jacob, which means the grabber (laughs) shows something about him. But, But usually a name would be given to try to signify something about what that child is supposed to do in life. Something the parents Uh, would perceive in that child's life. Sometimes in a Jewish family, a name would be changed later on because they would begin to see that that child had a a new purpose, a new characteristic in life. So that you have a place like with uh, Abraham. You know, originally his name was Abram, Abram, which means great father. But after God had broken into his life and, and had a new purpose for him, that he would be the one through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed, his name was changed to Abraham, father of multitudes. So, so do you see it? A name was more than just some sort of designation someone gave us. It shows who it is that we're trying to please, the source, and it showed something about our purpose in life. Is that clear? So that the principle is this. When we know who it is to whom we defer in making life's decision, when we know that, our authority, the source, And if we know why we are here in this world, our purpose, then we know who we are. Now, that takes us to the name of Jesus. Look at verses 20 and 21 in Matthew chapter 1. This child, the angel said to Joseph, conceived in her, is from the Holy Spirit. What she said is right, Joseph. Mary will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name. Joseph didn't have that ability. There's a reason that God will not allow Joseph to name this child. And why is it? It's because even Joseph is to know that he will not be the one who has ultimate authority over this one who will be born. I'll tell you what you find here in Matthew one. When you see this, when you see this is the same message that runs throughout the entire New Testament. And the thing that makes us celebrate Christmas, that this child who is born is like no other child, is not going to be somebody who submits to anything in this world. No, no, no. The amazing thing is, when this child was born, he was already older than his parents. Now, see if that's true of any of our families. To the Jennings this morning, I don't think that that, that's true as we had that. When you read that, there's this mystery that we're talking about. Do you remember in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, talking about Jesus. And then this word became flesh so that this mystery of who Jesus is penetrates into this world. And, and, and Jesus would say before even Abraham was, I am, I am. So, so the point here is Joseph can't name this child because this child is going to be one who has come to do the will only 
of his father in this mystery that Christians know as the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's this mystery that we celebrate in so many of our songs. We stand in wonder of it, of who Jesus is, a child like no other child. Um, So that whenever you are in the mall, if you go this week, and you hear these songs like Santa Claus is coming to town, or or Grandma got run over by a reindeer, or some of that. And right in the middle of those two songs, you have songs like we did this morning, the orchestra played, and we sang, choir sang earlier, the one by Charles Wesley. Uh, Hark the herald angels sing, and you hear this line. I want you to listen for this line every time this comes up. Veiled in flesh. You know the next? The Godhead see. Hail the incarnate. Do you know that word carnivore, flesh, in flesh? Hail the incarnate deity. God come as a man. Yes, pleased as a man with men to dwell. But I'll tell you who he is. Jesus is our Emmanuel. This one pleased this man to come is God with us. So the thing that we see in the life of Jesus is that he is not going to be one named by any human being. The only one to whom he will be accountable, the one he will seek to please, is his father. No, 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 Joseph, you can't give him a name. He has had an eternal name. His name will be Jesus. And that brings me to the second part of the name of Jesus. Not only the source being his father, declared through the angel, but also the content of the name. See, remember, the name is to describe what a person is to do. And in this, Matthew chapter 1 is crystal clear. See verse 21? Hey, Joseph, you are to give him the name that is his name. It is Jesus because, well, this is where... Christians, if you're awake, we should say hallelujah. He will save his people from their sins. (laughs) See, the 11 o'clock service, they're much more awake than the uh, the 9 9 o'clock was. See, what we have here is the life mission of Jesus. Uh, Jesus, I'll tell you the name. It's just an anglicized, it's an English form of of the Greek Jesus. But the Jesus uh, is also just a Hellenized or a Greek form of the Hebrew word, it's really Joshua, Yahshua. It's two Hebrew words put together, the meaning of Jesus' name. Yah, Yahweh, Jehovah, Shuach saves. So what is this? You're to give him the name Jesus because his mission is God to the rescue. And it comes to the heart of why we even show up at church. That God made people in his image and loves people in this world. But people walked away from God. But God still loves us. Whatever you have engaged in, God loves you. And he wants your life to be remade. He wants you to be forgiven of sins and your life to be what he created it to be. So God came. And what we see in Jesus is this mission. God to the rescue. Rescuing sinful people from their sins. So so that the Bible tells us that Jesus has many titles. Like Isaiah said, uh, uh, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, uh, Everlasting Father, uh, Prince of Peace. But at the very heart of his mission, the name that Joseph had to give him was Jesus. Because God is going to rescue sinners and give hope to people like those at 393 North Lake Avenue so that we have something to sing about on this Sunday morning. See, and Jesus understood that. With these two things together. And one of the things you find when you read through all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
is this clear sense of identity and mission that Jesus had. Uh, He knew the one that he was going to please. I've come to please my father. And he knew why he had come. And he was relentless. This was almost unnerving for some people. Uh, He would come and when the crowds didn't want him to go to Zacchaeus' home in Luke 19, he said, but this is my purpose in life. I have come to seek and to save the lost. Remember that? Or when his disciples didn't want him to do that, go to the cross to die. But rather, they wanted him to set up a kingdom here on earth so that they could be rich and powerful. In Mark chapter 10, he turns to them and says, no, 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 no. Uh, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. I have come to give my life as a ransom for the many. That's why we sing. Because Jesus has come, and in Jesus' coming, he knew his mission, and he fulfilled it. And you find it throughout. This is why pastors like me are so bothered when we read some of the books that, that tell about Jesus or read or watch some of the movies that are made about Jesus and find him in those places characterized as struggling with his identity. Because when you read through the Gospels, Jesus struggled with many things, but not his identity. He didn't struggle with his identity. He, he, he struggled because people he loved were going to hold him at arm's length and not receive his salvation. He'll weep over you as he did over Jerusalem if you hold him at arm's length. But he never struggled over his identity. Remember, there's one time where his own followers told him not to go to Jerusalem. They said, you're going to die in Jerusalem if you go there. And it tells us Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. Why? Because this is who I am. This is why I have come. You see, this whole principle is Jesus knew who he was because he knew whose he was. His father had sent him to rescue sinners like us. And so he did it. Which brings me to us. And a quote that I want to show you from Pastor Tim Keller. Tim Keller, the pastor that I love so much in uh, New York City. uh, Talking with people who are asking this question, who am I? Who is my identity? He said, I'm going to tell you where you have to start with this. To know our identity, Pastor Keller said, and purpose in life, we must stop asking, who am I? And we must begin by asking, whose am I? And that brings me to that last point on your outline, our names. Because all human beings, wherever you come from, however old you are, we need to ask ourselves, who is it that we're seeking to please? And what would please him? What, what would that person ask me to do? This is really this, the two big questions of, of our personal identity. If we can't answer those questions, we won't know who we are. So I want you to ask, who names you? Uh, Metaphorically, you know what I mean by that. Who is it to whom you are accountable? And number two, what would that person have you to do? Let's ask first the source of our names. Who names us? To whom do you belong? See, up until we had the United States, in most cultures of the world and still today in so many societies, many of you who come from other countries other than the U.S., you, you know this. The identity, what we do and how we live, was wrapped up in our families. You know, in so many, in so many places, the schools we would go to, those were already determined by the family that we were in, the kind of occupations that would be our range of occupations that we could be in, be consistent with our family. Even marriage was all wrapped up in the family. You know, most marriages have been arranged, and it would always be from somebody from an appropriate Social standing. 
Some of you know that last night when I talked about this, so many of the folks from Asia came up and said, it's still that way in my family. <laughs> came up and sort of nailed. Now, some people found that to be oppressive. Uh, they didn't want to be limited just by what their family allowed them to do. And so many people have this, what we call it, the American dream. America is the place of infinite possibilities. We're not limited just by our families. Many people fled to America to get over that oppression so that they could become what they wanted to become. And I don't know if you ever do this, but I like to go onto the Internet and go into some other country's uh, news reports and to see what they said about our last election. And you know what almost all of them say? The American dream still lives, they say. Look, even a man of color whose father is from Kenya can be the president in the United States. Anything's possible in America, they, they will say. Now, what do you think about that? Well, I tell you that there is something really positive about that. But there is a downside. It's created another problem. And so I'm, I'm talking to an American audience here. Now, where do we find our identity and what we're supposed to do here in the United States? And you know what we're told? You've got to find it yourself. Just read all the books and hear all the counselors. Uh, don't let anybody tell you what you're supposed to be. Don't let anybody else name you. You find out yourself who you are. You've got to determine who you are and your purpose in life. I'll tell you, when you gather, how do you do that? How do you do that? And so many in our day try to find their identities so wrapped up in temporary things. Their whole identity is love of sports or sometimes good things, love of music or, or sometimes a relationship. So many young people who would go to college, if only I could have that girlfriend or that boyfriend, uh, if only then life would be good. But the moment that they don't have them, life's not good anymore. You see, they're, they're being named by that thing. And I keep reading that especially among men in American society, we, we seek to find our identities in our work. Um, this is who I am. When, when I was a, a college president, we would get together with other presidents, and I saw that so much to be the case. When you have a big job title, a name like that, you start identifying yourself, and in fact, president almost becomes your first name. But what happens when the board comes to you and retires you is that you don't even know who you are anymore. Do you see what I'm getting at? Uh, if, if our... If our identities are wrapped up in our work, then a couple things can happen. If we become relatively successful, then we need to become more successful. And then it costs us often our families and our friendships and our health. But if we go through difficult economic times like we're going through now and we lose our jobs, we don't even know who we are anymore. Um, I keep reading that men have a harder time with this job loss than women do. You can read it in the blogs, you can read it in the journal, journals, and, and you read it in the paper. And the, and the reason why men, I'm looking at many, the reason that it's given is so many of us find our identities in our work. What's the solution to this? And the solution is always the same. Men, you should not make work so central to your identity. Does that help you? Does, it, does that help you? I tell you... That, that, that's true, but it begs a big question. If not there, where do we find our identities? You see, it's, it's no good just to tell a person out there drowning in the middle of the ocean, you shouldn't be out there in the middle of the ocean. You've got to provide some people some help. 
Um, in my family, we have people who wrestle with diabetes. I remember when my brother found out that he was dealing with this. He went to the doctor. He came back and he said, what did he tell you to do? He said he only told me what not to do. Don't eat this and don't eat that and don't eat this and don't eat that. But there's nothing left to eat. You, you, you just can't take away everything and put nothing in its place. I can't just come to you and say, well, you can't make work such a big deal. Go out there and live happily. There's got to be somebody who says, well, what do you put into that first place in your life. Again, I'm going to come back to this point. The source of your name, the one to whom you are ultimately accountable, uh, that, that becomes the one that you seek to please. And what happens is, if that becomes a thing or a person and that thing is lost, then we almost lose our identity. We almost lose our identity. Let me see if I can still make it even clearer. Some people make very good things uh, their identities, even, even their children. So many fathers and mothers, their identity is I want to be a good parent. But then I have to come back and say, even though that's a good thing, what happens then when our children reject us or if, or if one of them dies? See, there has to be something more to live for. Those things cannot be are gods. Now, there are many people. I'm not the first one to see that problem. And so now, especially here, I found in Southern California, people say, well, of course, that's true. Uh, if, if you make that thing, your sort, it, it will name you. And if it's taken away, you'll lose everything. So here's what you've got to do. You've got to find that that inner person within you. You know, that that inner child within you, that that person that you are. Seek that. What are your passions? What are your aspirations? What are your lifestyle preferences? Go for those things. Go for those things enthusiastically, and then you'll live. But, but do you see the conundrum here? If you say, I'm going to determine that this is what I'm living for, that names you. It's not you naming it. Again, that temporary thing will absolutely ruin your life. So what is the solution? So let me summarize it. Whomever or whatever you turn to name you is your authority. You see it? The source of who you are. So my question to you is, for whom or for what are you ultimately living? Who are you seeking to please? And this will not surprise any of you. I, as your pastor, stand before you this morning and urge you to have God at the center of your life. That he and he alone is the only one worthy of naming, naming us. Uh, and when he is first, when we live to please him as did Jesus, then everything else can sort of take its place in the right place. Other, everything else doesn't have to be God. You see, we're human. Genesis 1, we're made in God's image. The Old Testament writer says, you and I, different from other beasts, we have eternity in our hearts. We're made to live for something bigger than ourselves. We're, we're made to be named by God. And if you ask, how do you do that? It goes back to Jesus. That God wants to break into our lives as he did into Joseph's. And Jesus says, I am Yeshua. God to the rescue, pulling you out of living for temporary things, living for yourself, li living and still being in sin. I am Yeshua. Make Jesus your Savior and your Lord. And, 
As John 1.12 says, when you believe in him, he gives you the right to become children of God. And he gives us a new name. Yeah, I, I still retain my name, Greg Waybright. But I have a name much bigger than that. I am a Christian. You know, back in old Scandinavia, everybody got their father's name. So we have all these Eric sons and Nell sons and John sons. And we have a lot of Armenians here in the church, too. That's what that I-A-N is all about. It's the child of or the, the son of. Well, we remain that on a physical level. But when we become followers of Jesus, we receive a new name. We become Christians. God must be Armenian. What do you think? With the I-A- <laughs> that I-A-N at the end. We, we belong to Christ. And last night someone came up to me and said, that's what this last fall series of messages, this new unexpected family is all about. That we all in this family bow the knee before our Father from whom the whole family derives its name. Ephesians 3, 14. So the source of our names, the one who is an authority over our lives, is the only one worthy of being an authority. The eternal God. The one who has said, I'm going to send my son, who in giving your life to him is not going to ruin your life. But begin to make it possible for you to live life to the full. Is Yeshua the savior of your soul? Now that brings me to this other, and I only have a moment to talk about it, this other part of our names. It's not just our source, which must be God. But it's this content of our name. Remember, the content of Jesus' name, God says, okay, this is what he's been made to do. He's going to be the rescuer of people. He will rescue people from the sins. What about us? What would God have us to do? Well, I just want to tell you briefly that when you enter into a relationship with God, you begin to take out this word, study it, begin to get involved with his family. We begin to see more and more the gifts, the spiritual gifts God gives us. We begin to have affirmed in our lives so much of what God has made us to be. And so we have a new family name, Christian. And then as we seek what God would have us to be, his purpose for us, we receive sort of a new first name, if I can keep that metaphor going. That's really what brought me back here to the life of the church. I just knew that God's name for me was to be a pastor and teacher of his word. So, yeah, I'm still Greg Waybright, but I'm sort of pastor and teacher of his word, Christian is the, is the no, new name that I have. I, I had this pointed out to me by the head of our drama department at Trinity University. We were talking about this matter of naming. Her name was Kristen Lindholm. She's married now, but that was before she was married. She was an actor, and this is what she said. As an actor, I always used to ask myself, who is the audience that I'm seeking to please? So they named her, you see. So now that I'm a Christian, I have an audience that goes beyond any other audience I've performed for. But I still act because I believe he's made me to do that. But now I ask, how might I please my heavenly father in my acting, just as I seek to do in all of my life? See, she began to realize that God still had made her to act and to teach. So she sort of had a new name. She was actor and teacher of my people, Christian, a.k.a. Kristen Lindholm. And I've been thinking about that with our church there's some people who have been called and gifted to lead us in worship. So I thought they have a new name. Uh, uh, John and Dwayne and, and, and John Stuthers. Uh, uh, leaders of my people in worship. Christians. 
a.k.a. John Sutton, John Stuthers. Dwayne, I thought of a new one for you. Uh, Networker and encourager of my people. Christian, a.k.a. uh, Dwayne Thunderberg. I've been thinking about another man. Uh, Defender of the poor and provider for the hungry. Christian, also known as Leo Hurtado. You know about our Sunday night feeding program? We begin to know why God has made us. And so we begin to live in those places. And, and if he takes away that, we'll still f- perform that ministry wherever he puts us. But we don't lose our identities because we belong to him. Uh, simply put, the lesson of this third Advent week is that we are to surrender anew to the lordship of Christ in our lives and let him name us. That's what I want us all to do. Those of you who've never known God through faith in Jesus, this would be a great time to start. That's when life really begins. The first moment might be a little bit difficult, kind of like it was for Joseph. But then life becomes what it's supposed to be. We, We enter into, we come into his family and he begins to direct our lives and to give it meaning. He and he alone is the one who is worthy of giving us our names. And when we surrender to his lordship, I'll just tell you, we begin to live. And I know there are many in our world, especially here at Christmas time, who say, but that's not the way I see Jesus. Uh, this lordship thing, I don't like that. This whose I am, that I belong, I don't, I don't like that. I, I like more the sweet Jesus. Kind of thing. Maybe as a teacher or a rabbi, but, but not Lord. I don't, I don't see him that way. I see him. Do you see what God's word says to us when we begin thinking that way? It says, beware. Beware. God will not let you and me name Jesus any more than he allowed Joseph to do it. He is who he is. He is the one through whom the world was created. He is Jesus, God to the rescue, the Savior of sinners. And if you come to give your life to him, you find out your identity. Because when you discover whose you are, then at last with joy and with peace, you find out who you are. To his glory. Amen. May I lead us in prayer? Fathers, we have a few moments here at the end of our worship time. We thank you for the beautiful music we were able to hear and join in. But now, Father, your word has spoken to us. I pray it's broken in just as the angel broke into Joseph's life and has said to us something similar. That we must give all of our lives to you. Father, I'm quite sure that in these very uncertain times, there are many of us who have come who just are unsure about what is happening and what we should be doing and what our purpose is. Father, for any of us who have put other things in your place, our professions, our titles, our investments, our hobbies, our passions, in your place. 
Father, open our eyes to see that now. I pray for each one. Father, we give those things to you. We, we receive those not as our gods, but just your gift. Father, once again, we surrender all that we are to you. Father, I pray for those who may never have known you as their father, that today would be their day of salvation, that they would believe in Jesus. Even now, draw people to yourself through the work of your spirit. And then for the rest of us who live in this world and so so many temporary things come into your place. Forgive us. We give those things to you. Father, we want to please you. We want to be named by you. Because of Jesus, we pray. Amen.